this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I'm Hope Mullinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. As Pitch Black the Boogeyman threatens the safety of children all over the world, it's up to the Guardians to face him with the help of Jack Frost. Happy Holidays, everybody! Welcome to our holiday commentary with Rise of the Guardians. How you doing, Chris? Good. This was fun, you know, especially because we, we just did uh, over on J-Guys and Jedi, our, our other podcast, The Rise of Skywalker, last night, which was a three-hour slugfest. Bit longer than this, yeah. Oh, Lord. I was drunk. <laughs> I've been nursing a hangover all day from that. So <laughs> this was much more, like, fun and calm and chill and, and something kind of nice because, you know, this year has been really hard and it sucks and covid and it's nice to have just like a fun little bright you know bright little it's story. almost over it's almost over ah, so close so close so close but to have a nice little like holiday fun romp we're taking a little break from gravity falls we'll be back with it next week so you doing all right so far so good had a pretty uh low impact day yeah i Mostly can't editing i can't really complain either i ran some errands and Finished up my the last little bit of my Christmas shopping, and now I'm just looking at my lights and hanging out with my friend about to watch one of my favorite movies. So, my well, favorite animated movies. I like this one a lot. So, what did you think about Rise of the Guardians? Oh, I didn't think I was gonna like it at first, but I ended up liking it once so, I got once it got going. What was the thing that made you like kind of not think you would like it, and then you got into it? It was very by the numbers at first for a kids animated movie you know it, it was just sort of just hitting all the standard stuff where i was going like all right this could you know this will be engaging but like i know where it's going but it as it went on but between the characters and the atmosphere it got me sucked right into it you know the, the moment i saw the trailer i was like this looks really cool and it's from dreamworks which you know has a really good reputation with like uh how to train your dragons and stuff like that and I, I like this little movie. I, I kind of, I definitely fell in love with it. I remember the Tumblr heyday of this being there during that time and like the fan art and the fan fiction. Like there's a lot of like really great fan art and fan fiction. Um, I'll talk about some of that in a minute when I do the background information. But yeah, like I think the characters are really interesting. Like I still like, I, I've been meaning for years now to hunt down the book series this is based on because it's, it's just such an interesting concept about it. So I, I'm 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 so excited to be watching this with you. Now this is a commentary, so this is not going to be like one of our normal episodes. Actually, I'll tell the co- the commentary rules in a minute. You want to just dive into the background info? Sure. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do the commentary rules right when we get ready to go. Chris normally does the commentary rules, so uh, over on J Guys and Jedi, and so I'm just like, I don't, I lead this podcast. I don't know what to do. You can do it. <laughs> I can. I'll try. <laughs> Here we go. Rise of the Guardians is a DreamWorks movie distributed by Paramount Pictures. It was released on November 21st, 2012. The movie is based on the children book series The Guardians of Childhood by William Joyce, 
who told these stories to his daughter mary catherine when she was young before she passed away from a brain tumor she's actually the one that this movie is dedicated to right at the beginning of the credits there are five novels in the series and three picture books joyce is one of the executive producers on the film and also acted as co-director until the death of his daughter when he stepped down from the project as director but stayed on as a producer the script was written by david lindsay of ray who wrote Inkheart, the musical's High Fidelity and Shrek the Musical, and was nominated for several Tony Awards for Rabbit Hole, which he won a Pulitzer Prize for. The director, this one's my favorite, because this will definitely probably be on our list one day to watch on the show. The director was Peter Ramsey, making him the first African American to direct a big-budget animated feature. Peter later went on to co-direct Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which won oh. the, yeah, which went on to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, making him the first African American to be nominated and win the award. The score is by Alexandria Desplat. Uh, the, there's there's a main theme in it that is very similar, and this of course predates it by many years of uh, the music, some music, a musical theme in uh, the Last Jedi when they're on the the gambling world and uh i was on alexandra desplat was originally the um score person for rogue one and then stepped down from the project yeah so he did there's a sort of like downward but it's a high pitch string that goes all the way through this and i'm just like that's very much like that that theme mm -hmm. when they're when they're on the beasts running through the the town in the last jedi with many dreamworks project guillermo del toro came on board as an executive producer present almost from the beginning he was able to help with the shape of the story character design theme and structure of the film that's why i like that that's where the atmosphere came from <laughs> i saw a picture of guillermo del toro in his ner beautiful nerd mansion it was fun because his bookshelf is almost exactly like my bookshelf. Mm -hmm. I actually have a better Stephen King section than he does in his <laughs> bookshelf. Yeah. So take that, Guillermo. He does a lot of work with DreamWorks. That's where it like He's a great director. Yeah, and like I think I think Troll Hunters is his, and that's a DreamWorks uh, uh, television show. That's on my list to watch. I I have yet to be. Oh, ah, I saw the movie. I never saw. I forgot that it was a TV show. Yeah, I the movie. I, the movie is great. I highly recommend it. it. It's been on my list. It's just one of those things. Like, like right now, I'm getting through like Star vs. the Forces of Evil, and I have like Kippo on a watch. I want to watch Kippo and the Wonder Bees. I want to watch Infinity Train. Like, it's just time. Like, <laughs> Troll Hunters is they, on the they, list. They put it sort of put it in the category of horror, but it's it's kind of, it's very light. Highly recommend Troll Hunter. Oh yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it. So. Rise of the Guardians was the last DreamWorks animated feature film distributed by Paramount as DreamWorks had signed a distribution deal with 20th Century Fox. And now for the cast of the movie. Jeff Frost is voiced by Chris Pines. His other works include Wonder Woman, the Star Trek reboot franchise, A Wrinkle of Time, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is probably where he met Mr. Peter Ramsey. Pitch Black is voiced by Jude Law. His other works include Cold Mountain, Captain Marvel, and one of my favorite Dr. Watsons in the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films. Nicholas St. North is voiced by Alec Baldwin. His other works include 30 Rock, To Rome with Love, and more recently has been portraying Donald Trump in Saturday Night Live. E. Aster Bunnymund is voiced by Hugh Jackman. 
His other works include The Prestige, The Greatest Showman, and Wolverine and the X-Men franchise. Toothiana is voiced by Isla Fisher. Her other works include Wedding Crashers, The Great Gatsby, and Arrested Development. And Jamie Bennett, who's the little boy of the movie, is voiced by Dakota Goyo. His other works include Being Young Thor and Marvel Thors, Dark Skies, and The Haunting Hour, which is <laughs> which this child at the time was nominated for an Emmy for. <laughs> for The Haunting Hour, so good for him. And finally... Rise of the Guardians grossed a worldwide total of $306.9 million in theater sales. The film opened in competition with The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2, Skyfall, and Lincoln. Its opening was the lowest debut for DreamWorks animated films since Flesh Away. While it did gross more than double its $145 million budget, it still did not turn a profit for DreamWorks animation due to its high production cost and marketing forcing the studio to take an $83 million write-down. This marked the first time the studio had lost money on an animated film since Sinbad, Legends of the Seven Seas. However, the film was far more successful at home media sales than it was at the box office, having at the end of 2013 the highest box office to DVD conversion ratio among major releases for that year. The film holds a 75% score on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 80%. And just some fun meta fandom stuff, which I said I would get to. Back in the wild days of Tumblr, there was a really cool crossover that came out after this movie, where it was crossing over this movie with DreamWorks' How to Train Your Dragon and Disney's Tangled and Brave. The whole idea was that there was a new big four, which was Jack Frost, Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon, Merida from Brave, and Rapunzel from Tangle. And the fandom called this idea Rise of the Brave Tangled Dragons. And there's just, there's so much cool fan art that came out of this and a lot of cool fan fiction. And like, it was just this really kind of like meta sub fandom of these four fandoms coming together and making like a new fandom. And it was just so really cool because you had like your fans of like How to Train Your Dragon and Brave and Tangled and uh, Rise of the Guardians. But these four fandoms came together and made this like really big sub fandom crossing over these four movies. And it's still around today. Like a lot of people still create artwork and stuff like that. There was so much like really cool ideas that came out of it as well. Like there's a lot of artwork of like when Jamie, the little boy, was an adult and like introducing his child to Jack and like this is Jack Frost, he's my friend and stuff. There, there's a lot of really cool like ideas that came out of this film, especially when you had Rise of the Brave Tangle Dragons, because it's just it was I, I love when fandoms do that. Like it's kind of like the Super Who Luck movement where people are mixing Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock together. I, I just I just love kind of sub fandom stuff like that. So that that Jimmy's my jams. It sounds like it. It sounds like it's right up your alley. Oh yeah, it, it's so cool. Like, it, like there's all sorts of ships and. Oh, yeah. All right, you guys. So, this is a commentary. So, this is going to be different from our normal episodes of, like, of what we do where we usually have comments. So, we both have our video on zero, zero. And when I count down, I'll say three, two, one, go. And on go, you hit the play button, and then you just enjoy our lovely voices as we watch the movie alongside you. So, sound easy enough? Oh, yeah. I've done yeah. it a thousand times. Oh, no. So, all right. Everyone ready? This get your, get your snacks, get your drinks, you know, get your pee break in. Yeah. All right. So we're on zero, zero, hovering over the play button, and here we go. Three, two, one, 
Go. Oh god, my phone buzzed right when I hit play, and I was like, why, why is my computer What did I do? Vibrating? What did I do? <laughs> it startled me. Oh, I didn't even notice Jack Frost at the beginning of it. Oh, and the DreamWorks logo? It's a nice yeah, little touch. Yeah, the DreamWorks logo. It's a nice little touch. So yeah, so this has Steven Spielberg and Guillermo del Toro. Did you, uh, and... When when I re- read that about how Peter Ramsey, um, who did Into the Spider Verse, was this was his first big like animated feature. Like, I, there's like you can kind of see those threads, like the emotional undertone of this. Um, and, and I I mean that kind of like especially with the villains because like Kingpin is a sympathetic villain. I mean he's a horrible, terrible monster in that film. But like Pitch is a very sympathetic villain in this movie as well. Like you know who doesn't want to be forgotten and wants to be like loved and stuff and it makes me wonder who he was before he was you know like this i love how they animate mice and stuff as soon as i saw that i was like oh this is somebody this reminds me of there's a piers anthony series of books called the incarnations of immortality and it has the same basic premise as this is like people people don't don't die in it though to to claim their their role they're just sort of conscripted into it when the person who did their role before them dies so but that you know they had like time and war and and you know each book was a story of a different different member of it That just reminded me, oh gosh, what is it even called? I started reading this, like, webcomic series. But it's not even, like, a webcomic. It's, like, a meta of comics and videos and essays. But it follows um, a group of three satellites looking down on Earth where humans have evolved to where they just don't die. And they heal themselves. And, and it's so like weird because like they're having these massive football games everything's like set around these like super what would normally be deadly football games but nobody can die so <laughs> that's what that just reminded me of look at just the detail of like the ice on his cloak and his pants at all times i love it i do also like this like setup of this origin story with jack because with him being, like, the titular character and... Well, not the titular character, but, like, being, like, the main character and stuff like that. And just watching when people, like, walk through him and seeing that pain that it causes him. When we see that later with Pitch, like, we feel that. And it's a really good kind of emotional thread line of how easily Jack could have become Pitch. People ship them so hard, by the way. <laughs> Jesus. Pitch and Jack, oh man, like, that is, that is like the main shit. It's a little sketchy, yeah. But they're such similar characters. Yeah, but Jack has to be like, what, like 15 years old or whatever? I mean, he's well, 300. I mean, he's, he's mortal now. <laughs> yeah, he's 300 and some years old, but it, I don't know. It always seems like, like, when these characters are sort of arrested in, in their, their state, you know. Like someone who is three three hundred years old would just 
normally be different than Jack Frost, except he's living Jack Frost life, so he probably is kind of Peter Pan-like. Okay, my only thing is, with with Santa's accent, I know he's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be like Russian, Slavic accent. He sounds French to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, a French Santa Claus? And I'm like, well, if they're going for the incarnations thing, of course, like a French guy could be Santa Claus. But why did they make that decision? And then I'm like, oh, I think he's supposed to be Russian. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like all Alec Baldwin in this role, but I kind of wish he didn't go with the accent. Because I think the, the, Alec is really good for this role. The the accent, the, it, 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 I mean, <laughs> once it gets going, you don't mind it. It's just sort yeah. of his way he talks, but it's it was just funny. I'm like, is this French or Russian? I can't tell. <laughs> I kind of feel that way with, the, uh, with actually Jack Frost's voice, because Chris Pines just sounds far too old for the role. Like, he just sounds like he's, like, in his 30s, 40s, voicing, like, a 15-year-old. Oh, yeah, no, it, it worked for norm- me. It, that's a normal, like, It sounded like, just thing. like a normal lead animation character voice, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's because of you, because you have pointed, you pointed this out to me, like, when we, as we've been talking about Gravity Falls and stuff like that, about how Dipper and Mabel sound like they don't sound like children. They sound like, you know, adults voicing children. So I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more sensitive but it reads, about it. Yeah, it, and, it, and it reads, but it reads like children, you know, from it's just like from the language of animation. Because <laughs> when you, you use real children, you know, it ends up sounding like Peanuts cartoons. Yeah. Which is cool. I like that, but it's different. Sometimes that, they do it. That's you know. a strength of, like, say, like, um, Jamie and Sophie and all the kids in this movie is they're voiced by children and they sound like children. So it, it is a good, like, kind of good way to separate them from all the other characters because, especially Sophie, like, I like how they do Sophie because she really does that, have that, like, child wonderment thing. Uh, what I like about about her character design is they give her ratty, like, dirty little kid hair. Yeah. It's, it's it's like real little it's like a real little girl's hair, you know, it's not all foofy and stuff. It's like you know, it's all it's it's in your jammies just kinda sweaty hair <laughs> that little kids have. I love the little tiny hummingbird fairies. Oh like baby too, she's so precious. Who was your favorite guardian? Oh, right here. I knew the answer, but I asked anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I figured Sandy would actually be your your favorite. It seems very much up your alley. Yeah, he's. What is it about him that you like, though? He's more of a like. He's more of a uh, um, like he's an icon. He's got a little bit of little Nemo to him, and. uh... He's he's an abs he's more of an abstraction of a character, you know. He yeah. he doesn't seem like a person that's been turned into it. He seems like an idea that's been turned into it. I don't know how to explain it, but I like his his character design is is, you know, like, I mean, it's based on a person, but it's very it's it's very stylized. And I wouldn't have recognized Hugh Jackman, even though even with the Australian accent. Well, we're so used to hearing him just, you know, like as Wolverine without yeah. the accent, so. 
I love all their relationships too. I, I think that's one thing that they do really well is, especially with these four, it's very clear they've been friends for a very long time because they also play off each other so well. Um, and there is like a familiar, you know, they have their friendly competition between their holidays and stuff like that, but there's clearly like a familiarity with like between all of them and, and they're kind of like their own tiny little family, especially like later on when we see like, um, to start losing her ability is like everyone rallies around her and I, I, I really this love is the Avengers of, of holiday. <laughs> That's exactly how pretty much everyone describes this film. <laughs> I think it's before the Avengers, though. So it was in the yeah they were they were definitely oh that's a good point they were doing the Marvel movies yeah. now but the Avengers hadn't come out right. When did Avengers come out? Let's Google Avengers. It'd be like what 2014, 15, release, something like that. Release date? That's no, I don't want in game. I just want the first one. Uh, 2012. So this Avengers actually oh. came out before this. Uh, it beat it by eight, oh. uh, seven months. Seven months? Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, it makes sense. Wow, yeah. Avengers came out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. A lot longer than I thought. Just seems like yesterday. So, we, when we were talking in the notes, uh, kind of like getting ready for this and stuff like that, um, you were talking about how this has been blended between, like, secular, um, and how, especially you were talking about the man in the moon, how he was almost like God and stuff like that. Well, like in this story, uh, I, it's, it's less so when you see the origin story of the man in the moon, but the man in the moon is just sort of like, he's the guy in charge. He's like, time to pick a new guardian and, you know, and is just sort of this unknown see, seeing fiction, you know, unseen character. But like, you know, they're, they're, they're treading all sorts of ground because you got like, you know, you've got, I, I mean, Jack Frost and, and, uh, and um the um the tooth fairy and uh <laughs> the sandman are all like pretty just like not they're not attached to religious holidays but then you get easter and christmas hooked up together and they don't really make this into a christmas movie cuz it's even though it's got santa claus in it i do not, I believe it's more set near Easter time. Than, yeah, it's uh, three days before Easter. Yeah, so so it's after Christmas, and uh, um, but you know, so you're 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 getting into you know, uh, you know, do you want to talk about the religious holidays and this and and they avoid it without you know, when when they talk about you know they they don't talk about Jesus at all and. And, you know, and also all these guys also have pagan connections, you know, they're, they're, they're attached to ancient myths and, you know, the rabbit trickster and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they sort of are, you know, they sort of just comfortably glop it all together, you know, and... These are such good sequences, I just have to point out. This is where they have, this is where they have the music that's very similar to, uh... The last, last Jedi. Oh. That's the book I would have had as a kid. I oh. totally, I totally would have had that book. You're a Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love all the kids in this. They're very, you know, kitty. <laughs> it's interesting because like the I just noticed the design of the cars are very uh, like 70s and 70s 80s, you know, cars you would see in the 70s 80s as are as are like his garb and stuff. So this might be set I, I, I'm going to keep an eye out, but I don't think there's any uh, cell phones or anything in this. And then you have Jack Frost, who's just, like, wearing a very, like, current-day hoodies. <laughs> it is. It is current-day, but it's also could generically be... It could... You, you, you could have that outfit... Like any time in the last sixty years. Yeah. But it's very fit. It's fitted and and designed very modernly. But the cars are like, it's I I think they're purposely going for you know the houses. I think they're just going for a just sort of mixed timeless quality to it. I, I like love how cupcake. they. I love how they 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 don't make this a thing. I was like, uh, like it would have been so typical in a movie like this that that her her change of heart would have been in the third act, you know, in time to save the day. But no, they just like they're just boom, instantly she's in their friend group, you know. And and I like that about this as well too, because honestly, like kids are some of the most accepting people, like. They're, they're you know, awful, like, but they're also accepting too. You know, they like, can go both ways. Like mean things, like 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 racism and bigotry and stuff like that, are taught to children. Like they, it's a taught behavior, and I, I like how in this, like there is none of that. Like they're just very accepting, and this is another sequence that I like too. And they're all just kind of, you know, they're they're kids too, and they have those little moments, like you know, they'll shove each other out of the way and stuff. But they're just kids, and they just love each other and accept each other. And well, they're 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 also these kids <laughs> are sort of sort of the side story, and so like they have to just have a just sort of very basic story. And I wonder if if. In the so books. much of their character is in their design. I I wonder if that kid and his sister aren't descendants of Jack's family. Ooh, that has it, that has been that, in fan fiction. I can promise you that. That. <laughs> that is where I thought they were going with it, but I've it would have been like fan fiction circa 2013. <laughs> I I would I would not doubt if that was in the thoughts of this and was like ah that's too much story, you know, and and like so him reconnecting with this kid would almost be like you know the little little connection with his family. But I, 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 I thought that's what they were going to do, and by the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, they, they either decided not to do that or they weren't going to do that. But I thought for sure that's where they were going with it. He does look a little bit like Jack, like like especially like his brown hair version, like when we see Jack in the past and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, uh, yeah, plus there's been 300 years or, you know, <laughs> yeah. a good amount of time for... For them to, uh... 
I do like this theme, Jingle though. Jingle their genetics. Huh? I like this theme, though, about, like, so much of the about this movie is about identity and who you are and what makes you who you are. And I think that's a really... Especially because, like, you know, sometimes it's... Gosh, especially this year, and I know me, I, I suffer from imposter syndrome. It's something I struggle with. And so I know what it's like to really sympathize with that and feel that just wanting to be seen and accepted but also feeling like you're not good enough and understanding your place and I think that's a very like like identity and wanting to be accepted and seen is just such a timeless theme whether it be children's media or adult media and it's always needed and I think that's one of the more resonating points of this movie um for that makes it a little bit like for all ages and, and timeless too I love these Sandman scenes too I love Cupcake's room. <laughs> I love all the unicorns. I like that they make her girly. Yeah, that looks like a pig dancing on, like, it looks like a weird parody of, like, Muppets and stuff on the one poster. Oh, here comes uh, Thrawn Joker. <laughs> I forgot you were going to call him that. He's a little bit, he's a little bit like Hades, like Christopher Walken, Hades, and what was it, Hercules? Oh, that was James Woods. James Woods, uh, yeah. Oh, fuck him. But, yeah, Pitch is such a cool ca- little character, too, because he really is, a, like, a lot of different characters wrapped up, but he's still that very classic villain archetype. But I think what makes him a little bit more unique than a lot of like classic villains that we've seen is they do make him sympathetic. And if not for Jack's story, then he would just be like a mustache twirling villain. But because of Jack's story, we understand Pitch's side of the story too. Only he's just kind of a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for him. I mean, I, I like, at the core of every bad guy is an, an insanely insecure, wanted to be loved, you know, you know, yeah. the Baltimore little baby thing. But it's just so it's it, he he felt the most troped out character, you know, not in particularly a bad way. Yeah. But he was he was like a very just sort of. His his arc was just, he, he was he was the most his whole story was sort of the most played out the the way well, I thought it would the most. Yeah, I mean, well, he's the foil for Jack. Like, he's the character, he's the, the, Jack can either be a guardian or he could be, like, Pitch. And that, that's why, his, like, his story is so similar to Jack's, only he's, he's Jack at, like, far, far past the point of no return. While Jack is still making his decision of, like, who he's going to be and what his identity is going to be and whether or not he's going to be you know, step up and be a guardian or become someone like oh, Pitch. I, I, it was weird. I thought it was kind of cool that they have this sort of relationship of where when, if Jack's not going to be a guardian or act like a guardian, Pitch doesn't even care. He's not even, yeah. you know. But, you know, Jack isn't on that level and isn't a, isn't then, and therefore isn't a threat to him. Uh, but, the, but Pitch is actually the one who, pretty much acknowledges him as a guardian before he's decided to do it because he's just like look you're you're already acting with them and he recognizes it you know Mm -hmm. so uh, which would make sense since they're fighting him but like he recognizes it before jack does 
<laughs> I love what a creep she is. She's like, can I just, like, reach inside your mouth and go beyond all your borders and look at your little gums and everything? <laughs> well, it's like, it, it's like they gave her the hummingbird personality and then they made, and, like, just made, you know, like, of course a hummingbird would be very spazzy and obsessive, you know, and they mm. just made her, you know, she's a tooth fanatic. Which, if you're gonna be the tooth fairy, you know she was probably she was probably a dental assistant in in her, old in life. her regular life, yeah. And she was really into being a dental assistant. <laughs> I and she was probably doing the same thing to the people coming in and like the, like looking at tiny little teeth in the dark ages. I must say. Well, I, who knows? She could have been the. Who knows how long she's been the tooth fairy? But yeah. yeah. I like how into it Santa is. Of course, Santa's just into any kind. He's just in his... You can tell he just waits around to do this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they had rehearsals for this. Because everybody knows what to do. <laughs> I must say, I love the Yetis. The Yetis are so good. They I, could, I think they could have used the Yetis more, but yeah, I, I like so Yetis. <laughs> the the elves have that kind of like like um oh I don't even know if a uh, um minions sort of yeah I don't know if Despicable I need to see if Despicable Me was out before this but they do have that kind of minion quality only not as annoying <laughs> well they they don't they're they're very they're very lightly peppered in another yeah. movie might have might have had them doing all sorts of stuff but they're just sort of lightly peppered in here I like his I like his sort of Soviet block looking old uh, globe that he's got there Everything's all just sort of squared off, and I kind of like how these four also have gotten a little bit like on their corporate side, and like part of their 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 arc, the other four arc, the four guardians, is like how to reconnect with their jobs. They've just kind of it's like if Amazon was actually run by people with hearts. Uh. No, that would never happen. Jeff Bezos is a horrible person who needs to have a baseball bat taken to him. I said what I said. <laughs> I don't want to do this, man in the moon. You're not my dad. <laughs> I'm surprised how much his character, how much like Bugs Bunny his character design is sometimes. I like how they go like full rabbit on him. Like he could have just been like really cool, like, um, like cool guy bunny and stuff. But he has very, very, very rabbit moments, and they don't like just now. He was just scratching behind his ear, and that's yeah, like, no, that he's yeah, he's a he's rabbit. He's more relaxed when when he's when he has to get hostile and stuff. When he gets his his Australian up. He gets all like this, but you know when he's back when they go back to the hutch, and he's 
just hanging out like he's relaxed and he's mellow and he's into flowers and <laughs> painting eggs and stuff. <laughs> hey, Phil. <laughs> I like how the basically the uh, elves are basically useless. They just they're just sort of around. <laughs> they're there for it makes me wonder uh, kind of like if um <laughs> keep up the good work. Like maybe if the legend of elves like wished them into existence or something, and so it was like, oh, I just I guess I have elves now. <laughs> You know, maybe he always had the yetis, and then, like, children wished the elves into Yeah, no, the elves are better for keeping up the belief, because kids like the elves, so it's... Yeah, the yetis are kind of like the enforcers, while the elves are just, like, the set decorations. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget that he throws the fruitcake. He's just like, okay, and just throws it on the floor. <laughs> Well, this here, this is like, this is like the the corporate head giving the the new kid his his speech that he gives everybody. I like this scene. <laughs> I like this kind of blend of Santa too because. I like this whole, like, badass Santa where he's so lovely and warm, but he's also, like, you know. He's got a little ego on him, too. He does. He's got... He should have a little ego on him. He's Santa Claus. He does have a little bit. Now that you point that out, that that is what it is, and you know I feel like he's earned it. You know he's Santa Claus. He's definitely earned that ego. I like also. He's also that, kind of the CEO of of holiday mascots. I also like the design of his um of his workshop. Oh man, I want to see that Jingle Jingle movie that's on Netflix. It just reminded me of it. I need to watch that before it's gone. Jingle Jangle. Yeah, it's a it's a new movie that just came out. I think it's called I think it's called Jangle. Now that I think about it, but we have a problem. Problem with the police power. I love their relationships and they all rally together because they're friends and found well, family. Well, that's that's what I like. About uh, uh, one of the things I like about this is it doesn't... I mean, there's a little bit of tension between Jack and the Easter Bunny, but it's... They don't they don't just manufacture, like... There's usually a part in these where, every, where it hits the darkest time and everybody's, like, fighting with each other and stuff, and they just... They, they just circumnavigate that because it's not needed in this. It wouldn't... It would detract from the tone of it and i'm always happy when when they don't do that they let the characters just sort of generally get along and be 
functional functional adults, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because because also every time like any of their bickering is from a place of like logic, like you know, like like Bunny makes it clear right from the get go, like you know we're the ones that work really hard. Jack is the one that like has been trying to mess up like mess us up with his like tricks and his fun and stuff. But, like, that's the whole thing that saves it is them, you know, coming together as functional adults and supporting each other and working together. Uh, he, does, he, it's, he doesn't even have, like, that, that, it's just, like, that one specific <laughs> And then Easter it turns into a ruined. friendly competition, you know, like, the yeah, rest, yeah, yeah. like, they're competing. But it's never toxic either. Right, right. Well, that's why they, they make all of them... Like, they make him, he's got that hyper-masculine um, Australian guy thing, but they also make sure to, to show him being, like, totally sensitive and at home with his feelings. And I like how just... But <laughs> Sandman just like holding up his arms like a roller coaster. <laughs> you were saying? I just like how all the other characters are just, like, totally comfortable with flying around and stuff except for the rabbit. <laughs> Oh my god, Sandy is the Seuss. He's the Zen character. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this sequence. And they're all just ready to act and fight. I love them. I like Baby Tooth. She's such, like, she doesn't do much, but she's a nice, like, little, like, furry character. You know, because she's cute and adorable, and, and her role there is to be, like, Jack's tiny support when nobody else is there. And she's kind of like a Tinkerbell. She's, it's kind of like yeah, having a Tinkerbell is. story. Only not as murderous, because, you know, if she was Tinkerbell, you know, she would murder Jack, but nope. <laughs> well, I was reading, I was reading about Peter Pan. There's been this little story going around, it, and Peter Pan was written during a time when, uh, I can't remember if it was cholera or whatever, but a lot of kids were, would go to bed at night and be dead in the morning. And oh, that um, was, Barry and wanted Peter Pan, Peter Pan to was, be a demon. Like, he originally want, wanted to, to be a demon, and they uh, the publishers wouldn't publish it, so we had to make it a fun character, but, like, the early uh, pit, uh, descriptions of Peter Pan was him being a demon who stole children. Yeah, no, Peter Pan, yeah, because it was it was a story about the plague, and Peter Pan was the character that wrangled all the kids, that di- the lost boys, all the kids that died in the night and stuff, and and Wendy and her her siblings, you know, got really sick <laughs> and got a visit from Peter Pan, but ended up making it home, you know? Yeah. Jude Law just, just like, salad, like, this is just such a delicious... I, I thought it was Ewan McGregor. There's parts of, parts of his delivery that sounds like Ewan McGregor, and I was sort of hoping it was Ewan McGregor. Give us a nice connection to Star Wars. <laughs> I'm glad she gets her her like moment at the end. 
But she just like takes him out. Looks familiar, Sandman. It's been a while since a professional's little trick. I liked his horses too. They have yeah. almost that like uh four horsemen kind of quality to them. They they look like the horse that the um headless horseman rode on. And then the enlightenment took place. And people made light bulbs. Damn it. <laughs> Fucking light bulbs. But this, like, this is a nice kind of foil scene to the opening shot with, with, uh, Jack. Because we saw Jack's fear and everything. So it's kind of, it's a nice emotional connection. So we were like, okay, we saw our main character go through that. And we can at least see where the villain is coming from. Of course, he's, like I said, past the point of no return. Oh, the sad babies! I'm trying to think of the painter that the the color scheme in this reminds me of. Spanish, I can't remember. Uh, Spanish architect. Um, no, there, there there was a painter who used to do really like fantastical paintings, and they were they were very famous, and they're very colorful like this, and they would often have like sort of people in togas in them. I cannot remember his name. It reminds me, I actually did a report on, um, I... Lots of bright pastels and... Yeah, I actually did a finish architecture. Oh, but, because, um, let me put it, look at Pokemon. Pokemon. Because they actually used him in this person's work in Pokemon. What is his name? Oh my goodness, this is going to bother well, me now. The design is almost like a little Salvador Dali and then this painter. He's an American painter. Ambrose Beer no Ambrose Pierce is a writer. Ah, it's something it's something like that. We've got a couple paintings of him here in buildings in town. I like how they reinforced a lot of the um the uh that there you are. Um, a lot of the, like, explain the legends, because, like, we understand, like, why, like, something like Santa Claus or even Easter Bunny is important, but, like, you know, I, I think Tooth Fairy was probably the hardest one to, like, justify and, like, give a reason of, like, why her thing is important, and I like that they give her this plot of, like, she's the collector of memories and, like, in and, and holds those childhood memories and protects them, which I, I thought was, like, a cool little An thing. Ancestral genetics. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. There's, you could almost take this and if you wanted to tear it apart and turn it like into a science fiction story because they do like 
there's almost a quantum physics level of it where you know like santa's snow globe like they use like portals to to transport themselves you know that almost as if that you know you could almost like write the the quantum scientific explanations for their their existence and function and everything <laughs> like how santa just almost stabs everybody <laughs> Maybe it's 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 Gotti, is who I'm thinking of with the Spanish, the the Barcelona architect. But <laughs> I just love Sandman. This is such a fun sequence too. I like that the rabbit runs on all fours when he's rabbiting. It's sort of like the frog lady in Mandalorian. Oh, yeah, it is. You know what I like about this scene, too? It shows all of their strengths and how they normally function in their own holidays, but it's that nice little tweak that they're doing it, um, you know, with teeth. Oh, she's so precious. <laughs> Yeah, you know, these are these are all their, like their normal things that they do as for their own holidays, but now it's just kind of tweaked differently, and they're all enjoying it. They're having such fun, and they're making like a. Uh... Jack's not even <laughs> a holiday; he's just seasonal. Yeah. <laughs> same with the same with the Sandman's not even a, a holiday or seasonal. He's just he and the Tooth Fairy are like the workaday ones. They got work to do every day. I guess so does Jack Frost somewhere. <laughs> oh, so about this mouse, right? Okay. I, I was waiting for this mouse to show up in the European division. Um, something I sent Chris, and it took me forever to find it. Which, uh, this, of course, like I was saying, was based on a series of stories by uh, William Joyce. And William Joyce actually made a short animated feature called Man in the Moon. And it was the backstory of Man in the Moon. Now, it wasn't made for this. It was actually based on his books and that backstory. But one of the things in that in that story was the moon mice. And the moon mice were the ones that found the man in the moon when he was a child and helped raise him. So I had to wonder if, like, the little mouse there is a little callback to that story. Um, it even has a boogeyman's hat in it. Yeah. So, like, it's funny that the, 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 this character is missing his hat. Yeah. The man on the moon's got it. I like seeing all four of them in the laundromat. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I have to wonder, I, you know, I, I couldn't find any information that kind of backed that up, but I don't see why it wouldn't be, you know? I wanna... See, and then he's down in hell. Yeah, he's very much a Hades character. But then who's his Persephone? Is it Jack? That's his Persephone? <laughs> I, I was also reading they had to create an entirely new um uh, 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 like animation program just for the sand 
Oh, I bet. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about, like, how Jack See, helps These him. animated movies are so much better at lighting stuff that's dark, lighting the dark. And we were running into this problem in our solo commentary. And our trust commentary. But, but look at how, how they, they use the light in this to, you know, it's dark, but where the light hits, it hits nice and strong. There's strong colors, strong contrasts, yet it still is looks dark. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's always kind of been a strength of animation, um, I think. And then I kind of felt that I, I, there's this weird trend about, like, wanting things to be, like, authentically dark. Um, and it is a little bit different, like, on, say, like, a television format with something like The Mandalorian or very famously Game of Thrones. You know, the, uh, the Battle of Winterfell at times were so dark that people actually couldn't see what was happening. Right. Um, and that, that is a trick in television to kind of hide the CGI and stuff like that. But there's no excuse about that for, like, uh... <laughs> there's no excuse for that and say, like, you know, movies. And animation has always been really good about that. And maybe because it is animation and they tend to play down to a younger audience, so they, like, need to show, like, the expressions and stuff. But I don't like this trend where people are like, well, it's naturally dark, so we can't see anything. Yeah, no, that's okay. You know, I mean, that's okay if, uh, but like, most movies don't go for a purely naturalistic. If you're doing a found footage film or something that has a like documentary realism feel to it, yes. But for the most part, what's happening is we're ha in digital age. They can take the footage and they can do what they used to do back in the old days called day for night where they would put a filter over the this that would darken down it was almost like a polarizing lens and it would make it look like it was and you can tell it looks always fake in old tv shows you can still sort of see the sky but everything's darkened up and they would do that so that think so that they didn't have to light it with lights because setting up lights is is very difficult it's a lot of checking and and work and setting up and nowadays it, you can take something digitally and darken out areas but it doesn't look right because it's it there, there's there's always amount an amount of light cast upon things you know and yeah. if you're used to the dark if there's enough light so where you're seeing stuff to actually have a movie you can have it look like this you can see the back back wall here and you know see so she's got that total little kid hair it's all ratted up and and all that that's you rarely see that in in movies oh sophie's so cute and i like her little wings my niece went through that like she would like to wear um like little wings or like princess dresses and stuff while she was sleeping so so it reminds me of like my niece when she was much younger. About my niece circa ten years ago. <laughs> I just realized something though just now. I think Sandman's like the Batman of the group. And I mean that as he has the power to take everybody else out if he must. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's got the most sort of power of all of them. He's he's like living inside everybody's heads. I like this cool effect of the sand and the ice. That's a nice little effect. 
I also like the buildings too. They all look so like grungy and lived in. Boss. Like, like looking at just like the door doesn't quite like it looks like it has some rust on it. The walls look dirty and stuff like that. I mean, look at the yeah. windows to the left there. Like you can see like where the water has dripped down over time. Really great set design. <laughs> I like that little jump from Pitch where he's just like, huh, it's Sandman. <laughs> and then they all just suddenly get into a boss battle. Yes. You know what? That's very much like the Hulk with Loki in Avengers. Even when he looks mad, he just looks slightly like. Rrr. Sandy's hair too, it's kind of a mix of hair and sand. Like you can see it, it looks like little sand particles stuck together to be hair. Yeah, no, they look like um um I'm trying to it's like called nano sand or something. It's like oh. this black magnetic sand. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. They re they remind me of that. This theme has been stuck in my head for like three days. <laughs> These are nice clouds, too. I know the action sequences are really nice, because, you know, it's, it's clear that they're all like playing off each other as well. Yeah. This this stuff is always in these movies the least interesting to me. This this is always the part where I don't really like zone out as much, but I'm I'm not inter I'm I'm more interested in the character stuff. It's 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 fun, but I like it's That's a nice shot. Yeah, that's uh gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> these are definitely though like the kid action sequences, like where this is where the kids would be like playing with their toys and like making them fight sequences. Right, right. At this point, and also the uh, another totally the the thing that I thought was that was totally predictably going to happen did happen, but of course it was going to happen. As so I was like, oh, okay, so Sandman's going to come back at the end. <laughs> They did it too because like we see Sandy kind of accept it, but it's it's not like he's like dying. Well, I don't want to say dying because you know that takes away the emotional stakes of it. But like it feels very natural because Pitch kind of set up his own demise with that because he flat out tells Sandy like it's been you know it took me a long time to protect this trick of turning your sand into nightmares, which kind of sets up the doorway of like oh well that has to be reversed because. He's using Sandy's power. He's not using his own right. power. Right. And now Sandy's in his... He's in his stuff now, man. He's in his black sand. He's, he's in his inside of... He's in his head, man. He's in all our heads. <laughs> Sandman lives rent-free in Pitch's head. Sandman lives rent-free in everybody's head by... Oh, that's true. Definition.
And that's when Pitt was like, oh, not a check cross. <laughs> I could have you into think that I didn't, wouldn't notice you before that. <laughs> We're going to be shipped together now forever. But I do think it was a little bit of a a braver move just to take one of them out at the halfway point of the movie, which, you know, is fitting the structure of like how these kind of movies work. Like you go up and down and up and down emotionally and stuff and they hold hands. They also say they also say though like, like when you become one of these guys you become it forever. So it's like now I'm thinking to myself, well, of course Sandy isn't dead, but you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, they, they, it looks like they've done this before. <laughs> they know the ceremony. I, I do have to wonder about that, because there's always, like, legends and stuff like that. And if their entire life system, because we see over the course of the movie, like, when the kids stop believing, they get weaker and weaker. I have to wonder if they were, like, older, like, myths and legends and stuff like that, who has, like, over time just lost belief and, like, has left. Um there's so much well, like, that that happens a lot as old myths get shoved into new myths yeah and there's so, I, I really hope they eventually do a sequel one day or even like an animated series or something because you know they mentioned other things like the leprechaun and the groundhogs and stuff like there's a lot of material here like they could play with like you know they mentioned bigfoot um there's cryptids we see jamie's book of cryptids like you know, wouldn't it be cool to see, like, Nessie as this, this, like, like awesome kind of dragon character? Oh, yeah. This Easter sequence is my favorite part of the entire movie. I love the Easter sequence. And the reason I like it is for just, for one, for several reasons. I, I like the cleverness of it. Uh, like how they do the eggs and how like, the, the eggs seeds. are creatures from hell from Hieronymus Bach paintings. <laughs> <laughs> the eggs with little feet. That's like right out of all the Hieronymus Bach paintings. It was so weird seeing seeing them in the Easter Bunny. That, that's why when they were picking them up and they're like, oh, OK. <laughs> but. There, there's so many reasons why I like this sequence, because it, it continues with the whole thing of, like, reconnecting the Guardians with who they used to be and, like, why they do what they do because of the children. It's, but, like, I like Sophie in this role as well, and I like seeing her having that um, connection with Bunny and, like, and, and, I, and how they all soften up, because you see all of their characters, because they're all so out of touch, you know, especially in this sequence where I like the giant stone eggs, too, just go angry face. They look um, like something out of a Mario video game. But so much of their their characters is they're kind of out of touch with children, which is why Pitch has been able to kind of slide in. And they're ha- like even the Guardians have to relearn fun, which helps show like Jack's purpose in the story. And it's it's really like well animated, and I like the cleverness of like this is how they're painted, this is how they're made, this is where they go, and I love the scene. Look at the teeth! <laughs> that makes me wonder if Tooth was like, I used to play with, like, bloody teeth when I was a child. <laughs> and then he uses his powers on them, too. Like, he... This is Jack's 
like fun in his core and we get to see like Bunny soften up. You know, this is such a lovely little scene for such like a big tough guy Bunny. He's so gentle. Bunny's on acid right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it's it's like little crystal hits his nose and then all of a sudden Bunny's like, Hey <laughs> Let's make some eggs with my little hell eggs from Hieronymus Bach. I do wish the the blue flowers were different colors, because they, they're all blue, but they're spruiting out, like, different colors. And I'm like, that. all the flowers should be different colors of the color that they're spewing out. But look at this, they're all so precious! They're reconnecting with children, and it's so precious! I never noticed this before, but this elf that falls in at the end of the movie is, like, holding on to this little egg. And he's just, and he's still painted, and he's just, like, protecting this tiny little egg. <laughs> for the rest of the movie, and I, I that's Let's see, he's all tie dyed, man. Like, this is clever. I think this is very, very clever. Because it's just. It's very organic and it's fun, and it makes sense. Poor Yetis. <gasps> he looks so cute. I thought this was so cute and fun. It makes me like think of like Hugh Jackman like talking to like his own children and just being like, Well what's that over there? Let's go look, let's go have an adventure and <laughs> And all the like the competition and stuff, like there it's like the earning of the respect. Oh, I love it. Was this about uh about the time where you were like, Okay, this is fun? No, I started liking it a lot of, like, 20 minutes in. Or maybe not, maybe not even that far, or maybe even sooner. Look at my hubris. This is my hubris stick. This is such a little kid thing to do, too. Just, like, holding on and you can't be detached from them. <laughs> That's such a little good thing. and Just throws the blanket on her. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I wonder about this, like, one little sequence, though, because this is where we see Pitch, of course, get, like, sucked down into his hole, so I'm like, is that, like, Pitch's old bed? Like, is that where he used to live and he came from? Because he gets sucked down this hole. That's why I'm saying I think they might have, like, cut this down, you know, they might have trimmed it up a little bit, because, yeah, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, like, obviously Pitch has got a hold of his teeth and is is doing a little Palpatine on him right here. But, yeah, it's... Though, I... You know, this is really nice. The, like, it makes could sense, be the, the remains of uh, whatever um, well, the Pitch's boogie, But the, uh, the boogeyman lives under a bed, and we have this skeleton right. bed that lives down... Oh, yeah. That lives down... Goes down to Pitch's lair. That's, That's what it is. That's totally what it is. The boogeyman lives under the bed. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's cool. Oh, the little 
baby teeth. This is a good thing too. Learning you how to Still could open the door, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a couple seconds open the door, dude. That's what I like about baby teeth too. She's just like, just open the door. <laughs> what are you doing? Open the door you first. You were right there, yeah. You had one job, Jack. One job. <laughs> open the door. But like, they don't. They don't even really give. And and I I I take this as a strength because it's a trope. But Jack doesn't really have like, um, you know, a moment of of true weakness in this. You know what I mean? He's there's there's not like the the phase where he gives up or he's or he's tempted. You know. How do you mean? Well. It's it's you know he's he's never really like drawn off his his path or or you know that's it that's it it's done we've done all we could and now it's all over you know oh that's true like he he has that one down moment after he loses they always his staff. Take the through that arc and I'm glad when they don't like they, you don't have to do it in every story as as part of a character's arc you know you because actually his down moment is what leads him to his strength because he brings his we, we they do a good job of showing that so much of his power is through his staff like when he's falling he can't fly without his staff but the thing is is they do a good job of like when his staff breaks he's the one that gets to reform it um, and, like, make it his own again, and so, actually, his lowest point is his strength, because that's where he rises up, and even then, like, it's not, like, quite a low point, low point. Um, well, that's, like, it, a, that's, like, a physical low point. He's yeah. thrown down there, but he's not giving up. He, he, he lays down there for, like, two seconds, and then he's fixing his, you know, fixing up his staff, and off he goes. You know, it's... Oh, poor Bunny. <laughs> he looks so sad. He's best looking googies. <laughs> what? No. Wrong. Not, not true. I'm, I'm telling you. Oh, every time a child walks through one of them, I just uh, have that moment of just being like, oh, <laughs> you poor babies. Santa's just always got a sword in each hand. He's just walking around gesturing with swords the whole movie. That's that's where I was laughing earlier because he almost uh he almost stabs Bonnie in the face at one point, but he's just like, Whoa. <laughs> Oh, See, this is a little bit of this is a little bit of like fake conflict where they could just use their words where he could use his words to to get out of it. it it's the fear though and that's kind of like that's kind of what i like about this because this is all of their fear talking this is pitch talking through all of them that this is pitch living rent free in their heads because so far the one thing that has been effective against pitch 
is Jack, and he he left. He he chose to leave and then went on his own little side quest instead of going back and doing what his duty. Cause he's supposed to be a guardian, but he's not. Like you know, um, so he went off on his side quest. So I I don't think it's I, I it took me you know like a little bit to like feel this scene too. So I, I do get that, but I I do think it also works too because this is where it's supposed at this point in the movie it should seem like Pitch's wedding. And that's the moment where, that's the first time that we see the Guardians are starting to doubt and fear, which is why that Jack is able to, to step up into his role even more. I love Cupcake's tutu. And her little stockings. I have worn that outfit before in high school. <laughs> that sweater, black shirt, tutu, and stockings, and boots. That was my high school wardrobe, guys. But sometimes with like a blazer and like a mohawk too. That was, that was, uh, that was me. The poor babies. Wow, they all have eyelashes though. Like they are eyelashes. Tooth has the best eyelashes though, I must say. Her eyelashes are fabulous. I want to know what's up with all that writing on the the globe. What it's what it says. We need some like Tolkien script editors to like decipher and figure out what languages it is. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some. If it's, it looks like it's in like Russian. It's probably just like locations. Like here is is Brazil. See, this would be his. This would be his temptation, but yeah, he's not really tempted. He's just ready to cream this guy. <laughs> this is the scene where this like, guy. He's was... no Palpatine. But this is this is the point. This is this is the temptation moment. I mean. Um, yeah. This is where it's just like you know we could either be buddies because we understand each other or or not. And Jack makes his choice. He's just like, no, I'm not joining you. He's like, okay, well I guess I will squish baby tooth then. <laughs> and Jack Frost. <laughs> See, I, I like that they never make Jack like a himbo either. Like he's clearly smart enough. He's understanding right. what's going yeah. on. Right. No, that, that's the thing is he he's he's, he's not really character. buying it. That's what I like about it. Like he's a he's a smart character. Like uh, they could have easily put him like in the himbo route. He could have been tricked and stuff. But he his kindness is what like really shows through. You know, like he gives up everything because one tiny little fairy is in trouble. You know, one child is in trouble. Like, you know, it, it shows why he's so, so good. I like, I like Jack as a character a lot. I think he's a very, very well fleshed out character for like a 90 minute movie. He's okay. I would have given him a little quirkier character design. He's a little too like I would have I would have made him really like icy and angular, you know. And uh, I I would have basically like made him a variation on his human form, you know. 
uh, like an ice variation on his human form. Oh, because I think he sort of is, but he's more or less the same. I just think I I think usually with lead characters, male and female, and in cartoons, they they try too hard to make them just sort of generally appealing to everybody instead of making them like a little fat guy or you know or yeah. or so, somebody a little weird little weird or with a little more character so you mean he like sort of looks like, like a zelda like the- character you know uh, and they oh, do it with yeah. video games too and I, and i understand why it's to make them universally appealing but uh they could have given I, him like his skin some like ice patterns and you know. Yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, given him really sharp cheek cheekbones and made him pointy, even pointier. He is pointy. There's pointiness, and his his hair is frosty and stuff like that. But it's it's too subtle. He's he's a variation on a on a lot of characters. You know, it was the I, same sort of I, I the same wish... sort of criticisms Ezra got at first. You know, for his character design. I kind of wish. Um... As we're about to see as he opens his memory, he kept his original outfit, like with his little cape, because that would have been a little bit. I, I do. I think the hoodie is cute, but I think it's also very simple compared to everybody else's designs. Like if he kept this cape and because it kind of gives him more of that like um, I don't want to say older look, but it, this is probably his most unique look is him in the cape with the layers and everything and. Though I do like this, how we show him, and like this is why he's barefoot because he took off his skates to save his sister. I actually love this scene a lot because this shows what his center is, and I love like learning that he sacrificed his life for his sister, which is such a tragic but beautiful moment. Oh. And it makes me wonder, like, what they were all were beforehand, you know, like, what, who was who was North beforehand? And I like the idea of Tooth being like, like a medieval, like, dentist lady, <laughs> just being like, I love teeth. North North had to have been some sort of like general conqueror, almost. He, you know, he's got that with the swords and everything. Oh, when I was doing my research, uh, like background stuff last night, um, I came across a comic of North and Pitch during like one of the world wars. And like Pitch was just like reveling in like on the battlefield. He was just like, feel the fear and everything. And North shows up and he's like, this is not your place. This is my this, place. What are you this doing? Is, this here? is death from a character's point of view right here. <laughs> and. Do we? We, we experience his his point of view of, of how it feels to die. Yeah. Not something you see very often in a kitty. I, I love baby too. Like, like, no, I didn't see your memories, dude. <laughs> but, um, but like in this comic, uh, it was finally like North going like, yeah, you want fear and stuff like that, but there has to be a balance. You know, if there's only fear, uh, you can't have pitch black without the light. And so just Pitch and North, like, standing in this battlefield in the middle of World War and just talking about, like, the balance of light and dark. And I was like, that would have been such an interesting concept in this movie if they were able to find a way to, like, not defeat Pitch, but balance Pitch with them. Like, you can't, like, we can't do our jobs without you. Um, That would have been, like, super ballsy. 
Yeah, but that's, I mean, it's, it, I, I think they always do it through symbolic battle. You know what I mean? They always do it through symbolic battle because that's, like, almost the only, like, way. <laughs> by, by nature, like, the dark stuff can't be cooperative. So it's just like that, like movies like this always do it as a cycle of, of, of conflict and defeat. That would have really made this movie sing though, because that is kind of like the, the generic part of it because pretty much all the guardians are going through what pitch went through. They're all like realizing what it's like to not be believed in, not be seen. And that could have been a moment at the end where we're like, we get you, we get you dude. And even then, like they could have been like, you know, we could find a way to work this out. We could find a way to make you be seen and then have pitch make the choice of just like, no, I don't want to work with you guys. And that's when they go, well, okay, your choice. (laughs) I love this though. This is his, uh, campy moment. He's just like, I'm dancing, I won! Except for that one fucking kid. <laughs> I love this line from Jamie, too. This this line that's like, alright, we're at a cross, what's called a crossroads. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good line from a child. I like Jamie. He's a cute little kid. <laughs> He's fun. That almost looks like a photograph of a stuffed animal. The the wood on the door frame, the way the wood is like mushed down, where it's been open and closed for many years, is insane. Mm-hmm. Just lovely details. See that? It's look at this. Look at Jamie's clothes. Look at the detail of just his shirt. Oh yeah. And the bunny. That bunny looks like it's seen, you know, better days. Yeah, and it's the color of a pink bunny that's <laughs> just Faded. been dirt and dirty. Does he have owl sheets or owl uh blind uh, uh curtains? Curtains is the word I am looking for. Is curtains? Curtains. I like how they make Jamie smart, too. You know, he's just like, oh, it's Easter running. And he's like, wait, this is snow. <laughs> snow is not Easter. What is happening? Well, they, they did the, they did the um, Chekhov's Jack Frost and had, you know, an adult say something like, don't let Jack Frost nip at your nose at the beginning to, yeah. to lay the seed. Chekhov's Jack Frost. <laughs> I like this scene though. When... Well, that 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 was the thing that I was wondering is like, okay, if kids don't believe in you and you can't see them, how are you gonna how are you gonna do it? And they they, they this was a very well thought out way of doing it. And I think it's because it's such a, like, a slow moment, too. Like, they actually go through each emotional beats, especially letting Jack emote, too. Like, I, I, I would almost, on one hand, I would love to see, like, Jack's, like, eyes welling with tears, but in, like, in, like, but at the other time, I think that might have been a step too far. 
But like this is such a good scene. Oh, he kind of they kind of shed little frozen tears, little ice drops. Like oh. They hit the ground and go tink 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 tink. I love their bond too. Actually, yeah, I don't like that. That's a thing. Like Jack is the one that knows all the kids' names. Like when they find Sophie in the the Easter Bunny's Warren, he's the one that knows her name. So he's like, oh my god, it's Sophie, and they're like. Who? And he's like, the child! You know, you guys need to be around kids more. <laughs> they, they have just such a nice little bond, too. <laughs> I feel like the property damage, too. At one point, like, Pitch, um, like, like Jack jumped on a car, or, like, Pitch hit a car, and the alarm went off, and I'm just like, property damage. <laughs> you okay? No, we're all kind of dying, it's fine. <laughs> he should have two canes. Two canes? Yeah, like his two swords to match his two swords. So when he's weak, he has two canes instead no, of two he swords. No, because he uses the the swords as his canes because he always has swords. Is that what is he <laughs> using a sword his for? Swords. Oh, he should have both swords then. <laughs> By the way, that is a fabulous coat. That is like a Rafa from Clone Wars coat. <laughs> I like that even when he's tiny, he's still like an old tough guy. He's a bunny. Tiny paws. <laughs> and all now they're all friends. They're all friends, Chris. Isn't it cute? Oh, I, they should have made his ears just grow a little bit. Just I, I, boop, boop. I thought that too. I, I thought, uh, like that little moment, like he should have got like just a touch taller. He just went, you know. He told you about me. Bloop bloop. <laughs> that would have been nice. And now the boyfriend's fight. I like this. This uh, the lightning is almost looks like cell animation. It it actually that that whole thing sort of looks like one of the covers of the Dark Knight comics. <laughs> oh yeah. With the lightning in the clouds. And then this is all. This is just like some into like hyper realistic lighting. It's a, most of this movie takes place at night. I guess it would I guess it would make sense. Mm. Which goes back to what we were talking about, how to light stuff at night. We know everything's like so gorgeous and it's never too dark yeah. to know what's going on. I can't tell you how happy it makes me to see you all like this. He, he also, Pitcher reminds me of another character, and I can't put my finger on it. Like, his design reminds me of something else, and... He's very Disney. 
Yeah. He's it, like five maybe... Disney. Like he's got a little Jafar in there. The the shape of his head is pure Disney bad guy. That's true. Cause I, you know, now that you mentioned Hades and and you know that Hades journey and stuff like that, like he does kind of look like has the like, the facial shape of Hades just without the fire hair. Yeah. Right. Right. He should have his hat. <laughs> I know, cause the man in the moon has to escape in his hat. <laughs> Ah. This is uh, this is the ending of uh, Stephen King it and Peter Straub's. Uh, it's it's not Red Dragon, but they they both had they both wrote these books sort of based on the same story the same idea and they they both were like okay we'll write different novels based on that, but at the end they both had uh, you know. That's how they defeated the bad guys, is everybody just sort of, like, goofed around and used good vibes. It, it, like, the Floating Dragon, that was the name of it. And that, I think it was in Floating Dragon, the kids all, like, held hands and sang when the red, red, or it might have been it. But there was one where a bunch of kids just had to hang, hang on to each other's hands and were singing when the red, red robin comes bob, bob, bobbing along. And the good vibes killed the bad guy <laughs> I like this sequence too <laughs> it makes me happy the only black characters in this movie are those two little side kids I like how they're animated too you could have made them very generic they have very unique animations Ugh. This, this plot also reminds me, uh, maybe it's the, um, it, 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 you know, the more I think about it, now that you brought it up, there's a lot of, like, there really are a lot of, like, Peter Pan moments in this, because this is, like, the, I do believe in yeah. fairies, I do believe yeah. in fairies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just, it took that idea of Peter Pan and, and mixed it in with the, with the, um, which is unnatural because that's a you know that's a standard trope of just kids is you know yeah that that point you know w w whether they're the point where they believe or don't believe in Santa Claus you know. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, that's a cool scene. Look at the property damage. <laughs> <laughs> It's not bad in no, relation to other movies. It's just light bulbs at this point. See, that's the key line. Oh, Once they believe in him and aren't afraid of him, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you shouldn't have used Sandy's powers, bitch. I like how very awesome. I like the scene too with the Yaddies coming out. <laughs> now that's that's some endgame stuff. Yeah. Well long before Endgame. Endgame definitely wasn't out in two thousand and twelve. Nope. 
I like the big eggs too. Maybe just go fight. With their angry faces. And now the showdown between the boyfriends. You can get me enough flowers for Valentine's Day! <laughs> That's a kid moment. That's a joke that was written just for the kitties. Yeah. I wonder how this stuff, like the the this the evil stallions, must be pretty scary to kids. I was a little wimp when I was a kid. This would have terrified me. Not at this point. At this point, I would have been like, "Yay!" But like, I, I was. Think that's I, how they I, do I, a good job of like how to like show to how to turn the fear into something positive. What is that from? Um. You know, it's like Gravity Falls in the, the episode with Mabel in the claymation. She's like, oh, I took something scary and I made it fun. Yeah. Knew it was coming. <laughs> like, you bitch. Makes a little bowl. There's the bowler hat. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's funny. Okay, so he just made a little. He just made a little mock of him. Oh, I like this scene. I like the dinosaurs. Has that little bit of Jurassic Park feel to it. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's why they got rid of the Sandman till the end. Because Sandman could just go and give all the kids dreams to make them believe again. Yeah. So they had to they had to keep Sandman out of it for a while. He was kind of, yeah, him and Jack were like the really, honestly, the two big players of this. Like, Well, um, they, they all got their belief back, but it's because Sandman started getting into their dreams. Otherwise, they would have had to wait till, like... Christmas again, <laughs> Christmas and Easter again. To the Tooth Fairy could build up power every day because there's always kids losing teeth every day, and she probably didn't lose as many kids because she just lost a day's worth of kids out of the year. <laughs> if you want to get into tallying up their, you know, their, their, their exact belief levels, they should all have little. They should all have little video game rectangles over them with their belief levels uh shown on them that would that would have to be in the video game if they ever made a video game of this you know there instead were of having energy levels you have to have belief levels i like them playing with the kids but yeah there were actually talks about um a video game let me pull it up on the wiki real fast rise of the guardians there we go <laughs> How dare you! Oh, this hurts. Oh, I feel it every time. <laughs> you know, and th this is the point where I'm talking about, you know, like, 
they've all just went through that moment and I would have loved to it's, see them offer like him like hey like maybe we can work this out and he's just like no here's yeah well here's the thing though he they wouldn't those kids wouldn't pass through him because even though they defeated him and they're not scared of him they believe in him they're hanging out with the boogeyman and San, they're hanging out with Santa Claus and the tooth fairy right now so they they'd still believe in the boogeyman he just wouldn't have any power so the kid could would like bump into him and knock him down and like Maybe offer to help him up or something like that. <laughs> and he goes, no, you. <laughs> I don't want to be that. I want everything. This is, this is, uh, 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 Princess and the Frog right here. Um, oh, what's the character's name? Dr. Oh. Jeez, always... I saw that when it first came out, and I don't remember a but the, the thing doctor, about the... it, except yeah. that the music, I like the music better than most Disney musical I've, I've been meaning stuff. to rewatch that for a long time, because the first time I saw it, I saw it with my nieces, and they were like, like, five and seven, so they would be like, Aunt Hope, this is about to happen, just so you know, and I was like, okay. So, and Thanks, were... guys. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, like, I, I need to actually, like, just sit down and rewatch Princess and the Frog myself. Oh my god, plus DreamWorks gets to promote itself with the Man in the Moon every time they have Man in the Moon shots. Oh yeah, that's true. There you go, video game. A video game based on the film was released by D3 Publisher in November 20th, 2012 in North America. Um, it allows the gamer to lead the Guardians in their battle against Pitch. The game is a 3D beat them up, beat them up where the players travel through each world. Burgess North Pole, Bunnyman Valley, Tooth Palace, and Sandman ship to fight Pitch's army and nightmares. The player can switch between all five Guardians at any time and freely customize their powers, and they learn new special abilities to level up. All game versions, uh, all, all the game versions support a four-way gameplay, and it's available on a bunch of different stuff. I can only assume it didn't, you know, it's a very stereotypical yeah. movie game. Yeah. It's it's and and often most video movie video games are kind of crappy, you With know. None of the original cast returning for voices. <laughs> Those are expensive voices. Those are very 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 expensive voices, though. The voice of Qui-Gon, Mr. Fred Tastacor. Uh, um, from Clone Wars is the voice of Santa in that game. And possible sequel. After the release of the film, the creators of Rise of the Guardians expressed hope that the uh, strong cinema score average for the film and enthusiastic word of mouth would gather support for a chance to do a sequel or two. Author and co-producer of the, of the series, William Joyce, also mentioned in March 2013 that he still ta- he's still in talks about a sequel with DreamWorks Animation. In 2013, he says there is something that we are uh, that we are proposing that we hope that we'll do one day, but that was 2013. So I would that still was a while love ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I would still love a sequel. It's still possible because something like this, if if it had a sec- if it had a better life in video, that means it's sitting in people's houses and people are watching it with their kids. It, you know, in holiday times and stuff. So like, like I it's cannot... not going to be forgotten. Oh, I was about to say, I cannot emphasize how much this this uh, was everywhere on Tumblr for, like, two years after this movie came out. Like, it definitely got its life after the theater. Yeah, but that's Tumblr. That's a, a subset. That, <laughs> Not, like, 
no, no, if but it had at a the life time, on video, that means people were buying it. You well, know, no, like at, at the time, like when this was coming out, like Tumblr was the subset. Like there was like the it was at the time, you know, bigger than right. Well, only yeah, really uh, rivaling I mean, the Facebook. Popular on Tumblr was just an effect. Of, you, you know, like Tumblr, like the amount of people that were on Tumblr like that were probably like point oh one percent of the internet, which is you know, like 10% of the population or whatever. But since it obviously like people liked it, it manifested on, on Twitter or on Twitter, on Tumblr. God, it's been so, I still, I probably, I theoretically still have a Tumblr account. I, 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 I like to get on Tumblr and just look at things. But Mary Catherine Joyce that we've seen right here is the daughter of William Joyce she died during production of this, and he stepped Jeez. down. Yeah, he the she was the one that he. Uh, I was reading a little bit about it, like when she was a she died when she was eighteen, but when she was young, she had asked him like, "Does the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus know each other?" Which was the inspiration for him to start writing these stories. And then he she passed away at, at eighteen of a brain tumor while they were making this movie, which is uh, why he stepped down um, as director. But I just. You know, I can't even imagine just being so close to something like this, um, and like like making it for your daughter to only lose your daughter in the middle of it. Ah, uh, that would. Well, I, yeah, there's an inscription at both ends of this movie for someone who's died. It's kind of sad. So, anyway, on that happy note, this is Rise of the Guardians. <laughs> what you think? I liked it. You want, you want to go in on that more? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was entertaining. I, the, what, what, get, what I think, um, did it for me is, is the atmosphere of it. The, the nighttime, the dreamlike atmosphere. And I mean, it's very, it just is very, it plays with the dream imagery and the surrealism. I mean, it's got Hieronymus Bach eggs walking around in it so yeah it, it it really captures not just the like of dreams but of like dreams you had when you were a kid mm-hmm. so yeah i liked it you know the, the the story is you know it's a nice story and it it it, it doesn't stray too far from you know it, it's 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 nothing like you know it doesn't take any odd courses like say like a, maybe a Pixar movie would you know not odd but like deeper psychological tropes and stuff that that are unexpected like in um oh what the hell uh inside out and stuff like that a lot of times when I watch these I like to think of like how how would have I what have, would I have done if I saw this as a kid and I probably would have freaked out I probably would have loved it it's hard to say though. Well, it depends, but it's 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 hard to say because almost like technology has come so far that like almost even the worst CG movie, if somebody showed it to me as a little kid, would have been just like, "Whoa, what the fuck is going on here?" But I would have definitely been deep into the story of this. You know, I would have been as a kid, I would have deep been deep into the lore of it. You know, the ideas in it. And this is a good one for kids to have Santa Claus dreams, you know, dreams of this movie. 
I like that they put a sort of mid-credit sequence in it. One of the things I like most is about the story is the lore. Like there was, I, I know I've been joking about shipping and stuff like that, but there's there's a lot of kind of like deeply seated lore in this and introducing like you know the ideas that there could be other people that's in this magical realm. It, it's it it doesn't. I don't want to say have a magic system because it's something that's based in our own like mythos as just existing. Like everyone knows who Santa Claus is. Everyone knows, you know, people know who the Easter Bunny is and the Tooth Fairy and stuff like that. Like it's not like it's something like Harry Potter where it had to create an entire new magic system, you know? It, it takes these stories that we know, like someone like Santa Claus and giving him this kind of twist where he's just like, you know, he's warrior santa claus ready to like rumble but he's mm-hmm. also like super sweet and kind and gentle and caring as this big gentle giant and i like how they each have like you know as i was saying like with tooth like she, she's a little creepy like she's in people's mouths and she's just like look at the blood and gums but like she's so like dainty and tiny and cute so like every character has that like a little twist to them for years i've been wanting to sit down and like find the books and stuff because they they just seem like they're gonna be just so much fun to read because i think each one is like their origin story and i think they actually wrote this movie to be like that to where it wouldn't clash with the books i was reading an interview um with William so this is like the avengers for all the origin movie books yeah i was uh i was reading some like background stuff with william joyce and they wrote this purposely in quote-unquote modern times so it wouldn't clash with the books because he didn't want people sitting in the audience saying well i liked the books better than the movie it's supposed to be like a natural progression where the beginnings yep. were the or- like the books were the origins of all the characters because and you also don't have to have read the books either what, what is it? Uh, William, William Joyce. All the titles are cool, too. William Joyce, uh, Guardians of Childhood. That's what I'm looking for. Thanks, Wikipedia. You're great. Okay, so the books are the five novels. Novel one is Nicholas St. North in the Battle of the Nightmare King. A. Easter Bunnymund in the Warrior Eggs of Earth's Cores. Tuthania, Queen of the Tooth Fairy Armies. The Sandman and the War of Dreams. And Jack Frost, the end becomes the beginning, which I think that was probably the one that was closest tied to this where, you know, with a title like Jack Frost, the end becomes the beginning. That tells me it's probably mostly closely tied to his origin in this. Um, And then there are the three picture books. There's The Man in the Moon, The Sandman, and the story of Sanderson Mansnoozy. I love the name Sanderson Mansnoozy. (laughs) And the last picture book is just called Jack Frost. Which actually came out after the movie came out, so I'm I'm wondering if that oh, might tie it's, in more. It with sounds the very much like the incarnations of in- immortality for kids. Yeah, I mean, I I love the characters. I like how they're all kind of turn on their heads, and I think that's something that uh, Pixar does really does really well because. Don't get me wrong. I love I love Disney. I shouldn't say Pixar. I meant to say DreamWorks. I think that's something that DreamWorks does really well. Um, I, as I love Pixar movies and, and Disney movies and stuff like that, but they do have a very strict formula that they tend to follow. You know, like you, DreamWorks does follow a little bit of that formula too, but I think they're also more risky. They really take a lot of chances. Like, How to Train Your Dragon is well brutal at times. They feel free to just grab any, they, they grab whatever of anybody else's formulas they want to use. So they, they don't limit themselves to one formula. They can, pick and choose or just discard them if they want to you know they have they're they're less into having a brand name which is funny because it's spielberg sort of doing his disney thing but i i think they realized why compete with pixar let's just do something different 
their movies are a little more superficial than than I mean Pixar movies get you crying. Like this one has emotional beats and stuff, and it's nice and it's funny, but it's it's light, it's low impact. It's like take the kids. There's scary parts of it, but it's really spread out with funny stuff and and lighter themes and stuff. Whereas Pixar like makes you think they're gonna burn up the toys in the incinerator at <laughs> at some point in the story, you know. At some point in the story, you're, everybody's sitting in the theater going. <gasps> And like up, it's like in the first five minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's become such a Pixar trope too. It's like, all right, here's the first five minutes. We're gonna cry. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is part of their formula now. But I think that's where I like um Dreamers a little bit more. Is I don't want I don't want to say they're for like older kids, but they are not also afraid to kind of like face realities at times. Like um, I know you haven't seen How to Train Your Dragons. Um. But, so I'm going to spoil a tiny part of the movie for you. Um, but there's a part where Hiccup loses his leg. And then for the rest of the series, he's a disabled character. And I, that's a very, like, real world kind of facing thing. Yeah, but, that doesn't usually have, that, I don't remember anything like that happening in a kid's book. Yeah, but, story. but the, the cool thing about it is it shows how, cause Hiccup's also an inventor, like that's part of it, he's, he's an inventor, which is why he's so different from like the rest of the Vikings that he lives with, cause all the Vikings are like, we're warriors, and he's an inventor. So he builds himself a macked out leg then, probably. Is. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's part of his character journey, and it's part of why he meets Toothless, who, which is his dragon, cause Toothless is injured and needs to have a tail built from him because he's a disabled dragon, which is part of like their journey together. You know, they have those moments, like people die in, in, in movies, um, especially in the How to Train, Train Your Dragon franchise, people die. And it's, it's part of the character journey of like having to like come into their yeah. own and, I, I, I think Disney's I, famous for killing somebody off, usually a parent. <laughs> but yeah, they, they're dead parent oh. tropes. Yep, they do that. It's their dead parent tropes that they're very good about. Um, or they kill someone in the first five minutes for the rest of the people to be like, me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like, that's the whole thing of, like, something like Up, you know? Like, he loses his wife in the first five minutes, and then he's a cranky old man until he learns the power of love and friendship and stuff. So I, I, I like I, I like DreamWorks a lot. I, I like they I think they should probably give a lot more. And they, they do have clunkers like like every studio has clunkers, you know, like they, they have like their little, you know, like Turbo. <laughs> Turbo is one and Monsters versus Aliens, which is considered. I, I saw Monsters versus Aliens. Oh, did you? How I, was it? I it was terrible. I mean, it was it was mostly forgettable. I can't really tell you too much about it, but I remember it was watchable. You know what I mean? I almost all, almost any, unless it's really, really infantilized, any kind of like full length cartoon is watchable to me and is entertaining because they're usually, you know, very, very visual and they're, they're just light stuff, but it's the rare one that's memorable. And that was one that was just like sort of by the books. And so there wasn't anything that, and that's why stuff like this and stuff like Pixar movies stand out more. I remember the whole general storyline of Wally, you know, and whole, how whole scenes played out and what was going on in them and stuff. 
whereas there's just a lot of just formula kids movies that are that are acceptable you know they got to keep them in the theater and i'm pretty decent at being able to just put my brain into kid brain mode as if it has to actually change (laughs) yeah I, i i couldn't tell you anything i just i i remember there was some uh, some sort of climactic battle around the San Fr- the 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 Bay Bridge in San Francisco, and that's about it. <laughs> it was fun. It was I remember it had colorful '50s sci-fi movie imagery in it. Yeah. Well, that was Rise of the Guardians. Yay! <laughs> we did it. Our first commentary for Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. Now let's see if I can figure out how to edit. <laughs> I will be talking, consulting with Chris afterwards. Yes, I, it's a very, it's a very easy process. I'll, I'll walk you through it when Thanks. we get, when we get off, when we get off the air. Thanks, I'm sure. We'll, we'll do it, we'll do it before, we'll do it tonight so you have it on the spot. Yeah. All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our website. Uh, as if the dot com didn't give it away, and we've got all our web, all our websites, all our podcasts there. And there are RSS feeds that you can sign up for. You can listen to them there. You can download them from there. You can listen to them on iTunes. You can subscribe to them on iTunes. You can go over to, if you're on Facebook, you can uh, go to the Two True Freaks podcast page to see what we're posting every day. And you can go to the cantina to just talk to other Two True Freaks listeners. Or if you're Twitter prone, which I am not, you can go to our Twitter page, and I do not run our Twitter page. Our Twitter page is run by Gene Gene, the Christmas card machine. I just got Gene's Christmas Me card too. today, and I got Hope's Christmas card today, too. I got Gene's Christmas card yesterday and Hope's Christmas card today with Baby Yoda and Mandalorian stickers inside Yay. and a Waddles sticker. You, I have to, uh, I have to share a thing because, um, all of our lovely patrons. Oh, I need to remember to mention our lovely patrons. Um, because yes. I don't have it in front of me in my notes. So, hi guys. You guys know I love you. I hope you enjoyed this little gift, Christmas gift. And I hope you guys all enjoyed your cards and everything as well because you guys just mean the world to me. So thank you guys so much for being, for being part of the show. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And, um, when I sent cards to all of our, our patrons, I put in waddle stickers for all of them. But I signed every card um, just because Chris, of course, you know, Chris and I live on opposite sides of the East Coast. And so I was just like, just pretend that Chris is signing this card, too, because he's very thankful. And our patron Brian wrote us that sent me a card back and he was like, thank you for the card. You know, I've enjoyed the show and stuff like that. And he wrote, P.S. I did pretend that Chris wrote this and now he's in my house. How do I get rid of him? (laughs) I'm in all their heads rent free. Now I'm in now in in Brian's house rent free, which is fun. Brian, uh, uh, this is wait that now this is Brian Brian who does the Obi Wan impression, right? Yep, yep. yep. And his so he's so like how ironic is it that Obi Wan has a force ghost of me living in his house haunting (laughs) him life? Yeah, please don't haunt his wife. His wife is lovely. uh, I've met his wife. Brian's yeah, house. I have two. I live in their house. <laughs> <laughs> actually, Brian was the first person that like I actually saw like in person that came up and he was just like, by the way, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, what? You do exist. People listen to my There's... show and you're physically here telling me that you do exist. 
There's nothing wrong with me hanging out in his house as an invisible ghost <laughs> from a certain point of view. <laughs> but yes, thank you to all of our my our, our wonderful patrons. You guys mean the world to us. Thank you so much. And I, I, you all mean so so much to both of us, and we appreciate your your support. So thank you. Also, do 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 Jean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you should also include uh, where where can people find you, Hope? You sorry, you know, sorry. My computer was like making it on its last legs, and I was plugging it just to make sure. Um, you can find me at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account for our other podcast, J Guys and Jedi, that we do. But you can also find me at Hope Mullinex on Twitter. Of course, this is the animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. Uh, you can read all sorts of wonderful like reviews and stories and all sorts of things over there um, that I write. We also have a Patreon, just like I said. And that is, I don't have it in front of me, patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience, I believe. Check check past episodes of What Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. There's a link there, and I don't have any of this in front of me because we are not using our normal show notes. If you want to help support the store, I do have an Etsy and a Redbubble store. So if you go to geekygirlexperience.com, and at the top there's a little tab that says store, and you click on that, and it can take you to there, and that's a great way to support the show. And we'll be back with Gravity Falls next week. Yay! Continue our uh, our our little trek through Gravity Falls because well we just started season two in the public feed but for us we're like halfway through season two right right yeah hope uh, uh Chris is cruising almost, right cruising to Avatar yeah Chris is almost at the blankety blank where blank blank happens Uh-oh. you're almost there you're almost there you're two episodes away. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm telling that. All right, guys. Bye. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Oh. Hanukkah. Happy Saturnalia. Happy Festivus. Happy everything. We love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>